Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. We're in Galatians chapter 1, and then eventually in Luke chapter 18. If you want to get your Bible ready and set, Galatians 1, and then Luke 18 is where we will be going this morning as we look into God's word. Let me remind you where we are in Galatians 1. Paul has addressed the church at Galatia because they have been removed from the gospel, or rather, rather they've walked away from the gospel that he has taught them. And he is answering a couple of charges, and the, we have to understand the reason he is answering these charges is because these have been brought against him. And so the first charge seems to be that Paul is trying to gather people unto himself. And we addressed that a couple of weeks ago. Paul said, listen, if, I, if I'm preaching for man, then I'm not preaching for God. You can't do both. And he actually points out that I'm preaching the gospel. The gospel makes enemies, Judaizers, they're, trying, they're the ones trying to make themselves look better. So he answers the first one by saying, hey, I, I'm not here to try to impress people. And he answers that very, very vociferously. Remember what he said? He said, those people that preach another gospel, let them be accursed. He's not trying to make friends, folks. He's not trying to win friends and influence people. He said, you believe the way that God says it, or you will be accursed. And so he very clearly lays that out. And then the second charge must have been, we don't have what the actual Judaizers say. We don't have that recorded for us. But because of what Paul goes into, then we realize that Paul is now answering the charge that Paul's gospel is somehow different. And the first two things that we looked at two weeks ago was that Paul said, you have to remember who I was before I was saved, how I was angrily against anything having to do with Christianity and how I persecuted them above measure and went after him. He says, do you remember who I was? I was against this gospel. <clears throat> I was the person who did not want to see this gospel move forward. Paul said, you have to remember that. And then he said, you also have to remember what happened to me, how I changed. And we talked and we ended last time, we were talking about biblical speciousness, where, where we take something that is understood by us and we try to make it universal. In other words, uh, there may be an individual who in, growing up or whatever comes across a certain activity or a certain something that to them is a battle and they must turn away from it that another person may not have a battle with at all. But that one person looks at it and says, well, if I'm going to follow God, I have to do this particular thing. Therefore, everybody must do this particular thing if everybody's going to follow God. And we go beyond the scope of Scripture and say, you must celebrate this holiday this way. You must wear these types of clothing. You must use this uh, version of the Bible. You must uh, have this type of worship service. You must do this in your marriage. You must do this in your child rearing. You must do this in your health. And we go way beyond the scope of Scripture. But now we're going to get to the third sub-answer. He's answering one charge. The charge is your gospel is different. And the first thing he says, he says, do you realize the gospel's not different? Do you realize how much it changed me? And then he says, do you realize that the gospel uh, that I preach, I was against and now I'm different? But now he's going to specifically talk about the fact that his gospel had a direct source. Are you there in Galatians chapter 1? Look down, if you would, at verse 15. We'll start in verse 15. It says, When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, to call me by his grace, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Do you remember how God chose Paul? He chose Paul a lot differently than he chose anyone in this room. 
Paul was knocked off of his horse. He was blinded. Paul was greeted by Jesus Christ in a much different way. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, but you know what, that would make soul winning a lot easier if God would let us do that. If we could just knock people off horses and blind them for a few days, then people would know we have the truth. And folks, that's when you have to go back to what Peter says. Peter says, listen, we have a more sure word. And in and, and our, our thinking, we think, no, it would be better if we need to trust God's way is the best. And I know that you're thinking, oh, if God would just speak from the heavens, get saved, I'm real. That would settle all the questions. Neil deGrasse Tyson would have to be quiet finally. Nobody could fuss about this and about this and about this. And we think this would be so much better, God, if you do it this way. Most of us can't even run our own life. How about leaving the universe up to him, amen? And he says, you go, you make disciples. And Paul says, okay, I was knocked off, I was changed, I was called. But here's how I was trained. Keep, keep going with me, verse 16. He says, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. When he says I'm not conferring with flesh and blood, he's saying, I did not come up with this myself. I did not get this from another human. It was not another person. Verse 17, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Now, here's what we know. We know that Jesus taught the original gospel to the original 12, and the original 12 were now purposed with going, well, minus one. And then the 11 said, we better add one in. God had a different idea. He had somebody he was going to add in. Anybody want to guess what his name was? Starts with a P. That's who God, God was going to plan to add somebody in. But there were some people in, an, in a room that said, well, we were 12 and now we're 11, so we better take care of this for God. There's nothing wrong with that. And here's the thing. God didn't judge them. God didn't say, well, I'm going to ruin your life now, church, because you, you elected Matthias. Matthias, I'm going to ruin your life because you want to serve me. Here's the wonderful thing. God accepts volunteers. And you know what Matthias did? Matthias, no doubt, served the Lord trying to accomplish what he thought God had called him to do. And you know what God did? God graced him because that's what God does. And so it wasn't a mistake, but God had that 12th person. He had him already lined up, and it was Paul. And Paul's saying, I didn't get it like the other apostles. How'd the other apostles get it? The other apostles got it walking with Jesus day by day for three years. But we know from reading the New Testament that they didn't really get it right away, right? Do you remember in Acts? Jesus rose from the dead. And they're like, oh, he's back. And then they ask him, so now? Now are you going to set up your kingdom? (laughs) They were still going back to what they had been taught. When Jesus, when the Messiah comes, we're going to throw off the Roman yoke and we're going to have our own mighty kingdom like under David again. And so Jesus rose from the dead and he told them, I'm going to pay for sins. I'm going to take care of this. And then they still thought, okay, now we get rid of Rome, right? Oh my, the the wonderful, wonderful long-suffering of your Savior. Jesus, some of us get frustrated with our kid. Okay, and we didn't die for them, all right? Uh, we're, we're just trying to keep them alive. And Jesus said, okay, there's something else that I have for you. And he tells them, this is, this is what you're going to do. And he confers with them. But Paul is saying, I didn't even get a chance to get it secondhand. And you need to get this. Have you ever played the telephone game? Okay, now, boys and girls that don't know what a telephone, there used to be a telephone that was actually connected to the wall and you would call different people and you would send things along, right? Well, the telephone game, we used to play this in the youth group, we would tell somebody in the first row something and they would whisper it to a person and they'd go down the rows. It never works in a youth group because there's always people in the youth group that they just want to mess it up. So you tell the first person, you say, all right, the message is 
Brother Dave loves donuts. And there's some, it's usually a boy, halfway through this, like, dinosaurs hate chickens. They just completely change it. And by the time it gets to the end, it's a completely messed up thing. But what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, this wasn't even a case of I heard it wrong because the apostles in Jerusalem got it. But then when they taught it to me, it kind of got messed up in translation. He's saying, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. I didn't even go to Jerusalem. He says, I didn't go to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and then returned to Damascus. Then after, how long did Jesus teach his other disciples? How long was Paul there in Arabia? He was there three years. Interesting. I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Not a long time to, to, to sit down and come up with different theology. I was with him for 15 days, but other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. I've been saved for years. They heard that the person who was the murderer of Christians had gotten saved, and I had gotten saved and I disappeared. I wasn't around people. God was teaching me. Verse 23, they heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which was once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. So here's what Paul is doing right here, and we're going to look. We're here in Galatians 1. Now you can turn over to Luke chapter 18. Turn over to Luke 18. That's where we're going to be for a couple of minutes. Paul says, I got my gospel from Jesus Christ. Here is the argument that the Judaizers were saying. Paul's gospel is different. You can get on the internet today and find people who will stand up and say, Paul's gospel was different from Jesus' gospel. Jesus was an Old Testament gospel, and Paul's was a New Testament gospel. Paul made up a different gospel than Jesus. Paul is standing up saying, my gospel is not my gospel. It is the gospel which was given to me by Jesus Christ. So if Paul's gospel truly is Jesus Christ's gospel, what should we be able to do? Look at Christ's gospel. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Look at one of these situations when Christ taught on the gospel so you can see the reality of the truth that Paul said, my gospel and Christ's gospel, same gospel. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you'd bless this time this morning. Give us understanding, ears to hear. Lord, help me to explain it clearly, succinctly, Lord, so that we can be encouraged and strengthened in our faith. Lord, thank you. We love you. Thank you for grace. In Christ's name. Amen. Some people would actually stand up and say that Jesus Christ did not preach grace. And I want to remind you right off the bat, the very last thing before he died was an act of grace. The very first person introduced into the new kingdom. Who was it? Thief on the cross. What did the thief on the cross do? How many times did he go to Sunday school? You're saying, boy, he was probably thankful he got crucified. Didn't have to go through that announcement, Brother Dave. I'll tell you that. What, what did the thief on the cross do? He said, Lord, I need you. And God said, yeah, you do. I'll take care of it. Now in our Bibles, it said today, you'll be with me in paradise. His very last act and his first introduction into was, hey, you're, you're going to a different place. And it's because of grace. Now in Luke chapter 18, Here's a couple of, te- just a couple of situations that people usually will take. They will take out of context. I want to explain it to you so you can see the absolute sameness in Paul's gospel and Jesus' gospel. Look at 18 verse 9. 
It says, he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this publican. He's looking at the dude. And he says, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. He is sitting there praying, saying, Lord, I thank you that I am the man. That's what he is saying. And then Jesus said, standing afar off, there was a publican, verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote on his breast, saying, God, be merciful. Be merciful to me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now you need to understand something. Jesus Christ was hindered by the fact that the cross had not happened. His disciples could not comprehend the idea of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. There was no cross. There was no payment yet for the sin. But he said, there's two people. This one is going to do what he can. This one is going to rely on me. This one is going to say, God, I thank you that I can earn salvation. See, that was the problem with the Pharisees. It wasn't that the Pharisees read God's Bible and that was a problem. It's that they read God's Bible and instead of having the reaction that God wanted them to have, Lord, I can't do this. I am soaked in sin. I am conceived in sin. I am a wicked individual. Lord, I need you. The Pharisees went, okay, watch us. We are going to put on a righteous show. And they said, here's what we're going to do, and here's what we're going to do. And then the Pharisee gets up there, and he says, man, God, I thank you. I'm not like this person. I'm not like a heathen, a publican. God, I fast. Now, it's a different religious system, but he says, he's basically saying, this person, this person doesn't care about God. I care about God because I do all the right stuff. And God says, this person that thinks they earned it, so far off, and this person who knows they can't earn it, they're the ones that found it. There's a different one, same thing. Now, do you see what the, what the Pharisees are going on? First off, he's comparing. Now, you and I have done this. Haven't you ever looked at somebody and said, huh, call that Christian? You ever done that? Some of you just admitted, you kind of snickered a little bit. A lot of you, you got your church face on. What, me, sin? <laughs> it doesn't happen, Reverend. Me, I'm perfect. I'm just here to bless the rest of you. Amen. Amen. But haven't you ever done that? Heard a song? That's Christian. Looked at a church service? That's Christian. Uh, heard somebody say something? You, you call yourself a Christian and you use this, you eat this, you sweat this way, whatever. You look at it and go, that, that's not what a Christian does. That's what the publican was doing. The publican was saying, hey, I, listen, I'm ca- comparing myself to others. I'm pretty good. I mean, I go to church. I work in Iwana. I work 14 times in the nursery every month. I do all of this stuff. I help out. I, I, if anybody's saved, I'm saved. He, he was comparison, but he was also looking at his own morality. He was looking at the fact, you know what? I, I am convicted. I, I, I do know that there are problems. I come here. I'm doing the prayer thing, God. And so he was going through all of this stuff. But he thanks God that he's done it. God, I thank you that I am not like him. I thank you that I am not like him. I thank you that I am like this. I thank you that I am like this. 
I thank you that I am. I am. Jehovah said, no, I am. You're nothing. And he didn't get it. Now there's another story. Same, same, uh, same passage. Go down to verse 18. A lot of people get confused over this. A certain young ruler, we call this the rich young ruler, a certain young ruler asked him. Now here's what, if you fill in the blanks from the other gospels, I think it's Mark. Maybe it's Matthew. You know, it's one of them. I think it's Mark. He actually comes running to him. He is seeking out Jesus. Hey, is it a good thing to run to Jesus? Yeah, that's a good thing. And this certain ruler comes up and he asks him, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know what this tells us about this person? This person knows they don't have eternal life. Now, you and I think eternal life may be a little different way, um, that he, but he is talking about this life, this confidence that's connected to God. That is, okay, how do I get the life, how, this eternal life, this life eternal? The, the Old Testament is just replete with references to different things about how God is going to uh, forever take care. And he was living his life, and he somehow knew something was missing. Is that a good thing, that he knew that something was missing? Was it a good thing that he ran to Jesus? Was it a good thing that he recognized that Jesus was a good master? Yeah. These are all wonderful things. And so many people use this passage to say, Jesus teaches a different gospel. No, just look at it. Look. Jesus said to him, why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. Jesus is trying to get him thinking. Why do you, why do you think I'm good? Nobody's good. Because see, he knows and we know this, Jesus already knows what the rich young ruler is thinking. And so Jesus is attacking his thinking. He says, why are you showing up thinking that I'm good? Nobody's good. Now, had the rich young ruler stopped right there and said, well, you're good because you're God, this conversation would have went, would have went, would have gone, would have gone. Probably that's the best way to say it, right? Where's the English teacher? Would have gone a completely different way. No, it's would have went, would have went. And, all right? If he'd have said, no, you're God, Jesus would have said, exactly. He didn't say that. He said, well, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. And then he looks at him, and he goes to reveal another part of the problem in his heart. He says, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. Now, here's what I believe Jesus was doing this for. Jesus was not saying, these are the commandments you have to obey. I think Jesus knew them. Kind of like I know my daughters, okay? I know that there is one daughter. I don't have to ask if her room is arranged because I have one daughter that arranges everything. But I have another daughter that she arranges via hand grenade. That's her arrangement. Just blow it up and find it later, okay? So, if one daughter were to come to me and say, Dad, can I do this? I would look at this one daughter and I would say, okay. I would not talk to her about her room. I would not say, is your room clean? Are your drawers organized? Is your laundry done? Is, is, the, is the hair paraphernalia put away in the bathroom? I would not ask one daughter because I know that it would be. But another daughter, I would say, is your room? And as soon as I got to room, the daughter would go, I don't know for sure, but I believe that, and everybody's looking, whose daughter, what daughter is it? It's very unfair that there's only one daughter here right now. Everybody's looking at her. And, uh, and thank you for arranging everything, Amy. That's a wonderful testimony to your parents. Now, 
Jesus, I believe, I don't know, but I believe the reason he brought these up, don't commit adultery, I believe the reason he brought these up is because he knew who he was talking to. How many of you believe Jesus knew who he was talking to? And what was he bringing these up for? He was bringing them up to say, hey, you know the commandments, just make, you sure, make sure you keep all the commandments. Because he knew that the fellow knew he didn't have eternal life, but he also knew that the fellow knew that he was also the man. That he had done everything you're supposed to. I have secured all of these things. He did not look. See, the law is supposed to point out to us how wicked we are. And he looked at the law, and somehow it pointed out to him how wonderful he was. That's a completely different reaction. Jesus said, don't, don't break the commandments. And then I believe he actually named some commandments that this particular guy struggled with. And what does he answer? Look at verse 21. All these things I've kept from my youth up. We're good. It's only happened a few times. Have you ever witnessed to somebody, talk to them about a sin? Are you a sinner? And they've gone, huh? Oh, well, I don't think so. I'm not a sinner. I mean, there's, there's been a few times I thought, wow, really? Now, when that comes up, what I do, I usually go to the Ten Commandments. I go, let's go to the Ten Commandments. Obey your father and mother. And I stop for a second and I look at them. You never disobeyed mom and dad? I don't think so. Can I call mom and dad? And usually when I ask to call mom and dad, they go, all right, maybe I did. Okay, so if you've broken one law, then you are a lawbreaker. Okay. But that's not what the rich young ruler did. The rich young ruler was like, hmm. Now when Jesus heard these things, and see, here's why the wisdom of Jesus and his, and some people get mixed up on this. They look at this next thing and they say, okay, Jesus is adding things. He's got a different gospel. No, Jesus knows he's not looking for grace. He's looking for affirmation that he's done everything. And he's gone to this very popular preacher who is very gifted and has been healing people. And lots of people say, this guy knows the truth. When he teaches, it's right. And this rich young ruler says, I need him to affirm that I'm the man. And he goes to Jesus and says, good master, how can I get eternal life? And he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And he went, didn't catch it. And then Jesus said, you got to keep all the commandments. Adultery. And then you list the other ones. And how does he respond? Oh yeah, I've kept all those. Jesus realizes, okay, this is, this is not conviction. He's looking for affirmation. And so he goes to the next thing that is very, very true about salvation. You don't come to Jesus Christ. Listen, you don't come to Jesus Christ on your terms. You do not say, God, I'm going to strike a bargain. I will give you Sunday morning. You will take me to heaven. We're good. Where do I sign? That's not Christianity. It is not, God, I'll sign right here. You take me to heaven and make my children safe and help them to marry somebody that will give me good grandkids. That's my deal. No, no, no. You say, everything that I am, that I have, is mired in the wickedest of sins. I have no help, no hope. I need you. And God says, okay, I'll take you. But if we come to him and say, we're pretty good, we're not really that bad a sinner, I would like to go to heaven, dear Jesus, take me to heaven, I believe I'm a sinner. And, I, and I'll call you Lord, but don't ask me to do anything that doesn't fit into my schedule. 
Don't ask me to sacrifice and actually go and talk to other people about my faith. If you can get one service a week out of me, you're good. That is what's wrong with American Christianity is we think, okay, church is coming here. This is me. This is my proving. No, no, no. This is one thing we do. We worship. We do this. We get together as a family and we worship and it's glorious. But this isn't what we're called to. We are a people with a mission who worship. We are not a people who worship that have a mission. And Jesus said, okay, well, there's one more thing. And look what he says, verse 22. Sell all you have, distribute to the poor. You can have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Jesus put his finger on the one thing that that rich young ruler said, I will not put above Christ. He said, you give up your treasure. Now, did Jesus tell anybody else to do that? A lot of people go, no. Well, if you're a fisherman, buy a boat, mend in your nets, and Jesus says, come follow me, guess what you're doing? You better believe you're doing exactly what he just told the rich young ruler. Now, if you're a poor fisherman and your boat's kind of stinky and your nets are messed up, maybe you think it's not that big a deal. But if that's all you got, that's a big deal. And he said, come follow me. And then he walked by a publican, the tax collector, Levi, also known as Matthew, and said, follow me. You can work from home. Is that what he said? No. He said, give it up and follow. And guess what he did, guess what he did to me when I was five? I didn't understand it clearly. But he said, go forth. Give me everything. Because that's what I'm going to redeem. Is everything. From this point on, you don't live for yourself. You're not going to speak for yourself. You're not going to eat for yourself. You're not going to sleep for yourself. You're not going to do anything for yourself. Whether, therefore, you eat or drink or anything you do, you will now be doing it under my tutelage to my glory. You come and you're all mine. Now, because he's gracious, he took a five-year-old because I was clueless. I didn't know what that meant. But Jesus Christ does not cut deals. He does not hand out slips to heaven so that you can be at ease in your life. He says, if you come to me, there'll be proof because you'll be a new creature. But when you don't come to him, well, then you can do the religious stuff. You can go to church. You can, go to, you can be a part of the activity. You can select off that menu. You can do all kinds of things. But the new life will not be in you. And it will come to an end because whatever is of human being. Now, this person right here, rich, rich young ruler, he got to it in a few verses. Some people don't get to it till their 50s. Some don't get to it till their 20s. They make, it, they make a profession and they get to a point and they go, you know what? I'm not interested in Christ doing all this. I just want the heaven part. Jesus said, no, 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 it's not a buffet. It's all or nothing. Give me all, I'll redeem all. And the rich young ruler said, I'm not giving up my wallet. And that's why Jesus Christ said that's difficult for a rich person to enter into heaven. It's not because rich people can't be saved. It's because rich people have a harder time oftentimes seeing that they have a need. And they are used to meeting their needs through their effort. There is nothing wrong. Listen, God has used rich people. Do you know who Joseph of Arimathea was? Have you heard of him? Dude was rich enough to have a pretty nice tomb. God uses rich, it's, nothing, it's no problem having money, but God says it's hard because a lot of rich people don't see that they need something. They have always used to getting it for themselves. And so here's what Jesus Christ says. You 
can be saved. Anybody can be saved. But everybody gets saved the same way. You give up you. You give up you. You can't redeem yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't get yourself closer to heaven. You can't live your life. You can't, you can't save your marriage. You can't raise your kids. You can't do a thing. But I paid for all of it. And I've got a plan for all of it. And if you come to me, I will redeem all of it. The exact same gospel of the Apostle Paul. Folks, don't think that your pastor is standing up here saying that you have to do certain things in order to show people that you're saved. No, no, no. It is a complete, that's what Paul is talking about here. We don't do in order to obtain. We do because we are amazed. Do you realize you will never have more of the grace of God than you already have? You don't make God's grace look nicer with conservative music or with non-conservative music. You don't polish God's grace with lots of Bible reading or less Bible reading. You don't make the grace of God look better and shine better in your life by wearing ties or not wearing ties. But when you get gripped by the grace of God, it is transformative. And you start doing things you never would have thought of. You start giving up things you never would have, because all of a sudden you think, it's not mine. Yeah, I can sacrifice this. I can give my time. I can give my life. I can give my treasures. Hey, I can get involved in here. Hey, I can go over and do this. I can, God, what else do you want me to do? And then you turn around and you go, how in the world did this happen? And folks, it is an amazing thing that God has, has given us his grace, and we need to get to the point where we realize, listen, it's not, does God tell us to be holy? Yes. But we should be holy in response to grace, not an attempt to achieve or earn grace. Or not to secure the grace. And Paul said, my gospel is Jesus' gospel. And so my question this morning is, have you believed the gospel? I'm not asking you, have you prayed a prayer? Have you been dunked? Are you convinced that in and of yourself, you are worthless and have nothing but with Jesus Christ, you have it all. Do you think that you are earning certain things or do you think that out of love, you just can't wait to do more? Do you think that God has enough of you because you've given him an hour on a Sunday morning or is this just the overflow of a passionate love for God and you just get to come and do it with family? Jesus' gospel is very narrow. You give up everything of yourself. You take me, and I take everything. And I renew it, and it's glorious. Some of us have been holding things away from God, trying to do this, trying to do this, trying to do this, instead of saying, God, I can't. I need your help. Some of us in our marriages need to go to God and say, God, I can't. I need your help. Some of us in our children need to go to God and say, God, I can't. I need your help. Some of us in our relationship with him say, God, I can't. I need your help. Instead of working to earn, enjoying the grace, enjoying the gospel that Jesus preached, that Jesus gave to Paul, that Paul gave to us. Let's stand to our feet with our head bowed and our eyes closed. Praise the Lord for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want anybody to go away disappointed. Jesus Christ did not chase down the rich young ruler. He did not run after him 
when he turned away because he said, I don't want to give my life to him. I understand the term surrendering your life to God. I understand that I do. But I also don't like the term surrender because in my mind, surrender means defeat. Surrender means, okay, I, I've, I've lost something. You don't lose with Christ. You, in fact, Jesus Christ said, what, what does it matter if you gain everything? It's not surrendering to him. It's saying, God, I can't. I cannot secure your grace. I cannot secure your favor. I cannot secure your love. I cannot secure your blessings. I cannot secure anything through doing something that I am doing as an attempt to try to force your hand. God, change my heart to worship out of a love for you, an amazement of grace. Help me to be rooted and grounded in love and help me to be able to comprehend what is the breadth and depth and height and length. Some of you are on that treadmill and you're trying to impress God. You're praying harder. You're reading more Bible. You're reading more books. You're carrying more tracts. You're doing all these different things, trying to get God to say, okay, I'll listen to them now instead of enjoying the grace that he provided for you before you knew you needed it. He loves you. He's graced you. If you're here this morning and you're not sure of your relationship with Christ, we have folks that would love to sit down with you and show you how you can know his grace. This invitation is for you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. I'm going to pray. Brother Dave's going to begin to sing. The altar is open. You may come here. You may kneel. You may kneel there at your seat. You may sit at your seat. You may stand and pray. But let me encourage you to either rejoice in grace or to go back to grace or to come to God's grace. Lord, thank you. Work in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. As Brother Dave sings, you come. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my mind.